Hello and welcome to the first episode of Vojdan University. Uh, this is a monthly video series that we're going to be doing talking about the latest, greatest, newest in scientific medical, in the scientific medical world, and particularly as it applies to autoimmunity. And uh, allow me to introduce my guests who will be here every month um, to discuss all of these wonderful topics. Uh, I'm also lucky enough to have him as my father, uh, Aristo Vojdani, PhD, um, known as the father of immunology. Um, he is the chief scientific advisor for Cyrex Laboratories, uh, also the president of Immunosciences Laboratories, and has been doing research in, in the field of immunology for decades now. And um, I'm honored to have you here. Thank you, Dr. Elroy. Thank you. Uh, I'm delighted to be here and feel your passion for the field of immunology, especially the field of autoimmunology. That's a new terminology. Yes, it is. Autoimmunology. You are an autoimmunologist. That's what you are practicing in here. So also, I'm very happy to be here that uh, things that I could not do as a scientist. You are capable of doing it because you are MD and you have the passion for, for the field and also the bottom line that you are here to help people with autoimmune diseases. As you know, 10% of the world population suffers from autoimmune diseases. Yes. This is a huge number. The solution is not to put them on antidepressants, uh, on anti-immune suppressants. The solution is not to put them on immune suppressants and send them home, and, and that's it. That's why your passion is going to help to find the causes of autoimmunity and uh, help manage your patients with autoimmune disorders. Very true. And so let's talk a little bit more about um, the world of immunology and autoimmunity. And you mentioned the fact that an autoimmunologist doesn't really exist in classic medical training. So uh, maybe you can talk to us a little bit about the history of immunology, how we're getting to this point of understanding autoimmunity. I'll be delighted. First of all, I thank you for calling me the father of immunology or the father of functional immunology. I appreciate that. However, uh, from 19, 1900, there were landmark breakthroughs by different scientists, which I call those individuals the father of immunology. Give us some examples. For example, Bering was the first one who took a toxin from diphtheria, injected to the, an animal, okay, and then transferred the serum from that animal to another rabbit, and then injected again the toxin. The rabbit did not die. Okay. So if when you inject toxin, the toxin, if it's at high concentration, can kill the animal like the size of a rabbit. So by making 
first antibody by injecting very low doses of toxin, meaning that the body made antibodies. At that time, they didn't know really the body made antibodies. But something happened against the toxin, so they even could transfer it from one animal to another animal and right. protect that animal against the toxin. So this was the landmark, the major, major breakthrough in the field. So let me let me make sure I'm understanding you. So he took rabbits, injected them with a sublethal dose of diphtheria toxin, right? Yes. And then would re-inject those same rabbits sometime later with a lethal dose of diphtheria toxin, and they would survive. Yes, correct. That was the first step. Right. Yes, definitely. The second step was if you take the blood from that rabbit, transfer it to another rabbit, and then inject the lethal uh, right. toxic so, dose that will survive all. So the protective benefit was transferable from one, from one rabbit to another. Fantastic, right. fantastic. Excellent. So this is named as toxin-antitoxin. Okay. Toxin-antitoxin. Uh, then a year after that, actually, Landesteiner, very famous name, Landesteiner, discovered the blood groups. Okay. And then Blood that was, yeah, 1901. Mm -hmm. And then 1937, the same Landesteiner discovered the RH groups. So imagine how many children and mothers were dying because of blood transfusion, and this scientist contributed so much to the field. Sure. Of now blood banking and blood typing, blood matching. typing matching, and all of that. Right which is huge, huge. Something right. that we take for granted at this point, right? But uh, in the past caused significant issues and morbidity with blood transfusion. Absolutely. Okay. Then the famous uh, Hashimoto. Mm -hmm. Hashimoto is the name of a professor from Japan. Yes. Who in 1914 um, actually discovered uh, thyroid autoimmunity, but really they didn't know it was thyroid autoimmunity. Right. You just knew it was a thyroid disease. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Some kind of thyroid disease. Right. Uh, then, during 19, 15, 20, 30, up to 35, they were playing with all these factors in the serum. And they were calling them antibody. Really, they didn't know the structure. Okay. Of the antibody. Okay. They didn't know this. There is IgG or IgM or IgM. Okay. Until a method, very important method, was uh, introduced called electrophoresis. Okay. Which I use that in my, you know, doing this is my a diagnostic PhD and my, you know, right. master degree. Right. Method. This method of separating components of the serum. In, uh, to albumin, uh, globulins, and all of that. Right. So what they found by this major breakthrough in the field of laboratory that the, the antibodies actually were part of the gamma globulins. That's why they decided to name them immunoglobulins. Okay. So that was major breakthrough at that level. After 1939, 1940, they really didn't know uh, what autoimmune disease was. They had some feelings. Okay. 
But the theory of autoimmunity was introduced by Sarah Burnett from Australia. Okay. Who also has another theory of, uh, you know, the theory of selection of immunology and all of that immune system, how it works, all of that. But however, he introduced the theory of autoimmunity. And guess what? All his colleagues, including Professor Coombs at that time, sure. was very famous because there was a Coombs test. Yes. And what is the Coombs test test? It's, it's also, again, in the blood bank. Right. Uh, he was so mad. He said that immune system is so perfect. It is wrong to call this autoimmunity because immune system never goes against its own healthy tissues, right. never act against its own healthy tissues. Right. So they were at the very beginning of really starting to understand the immune system and immune defenses. And they held on to this idea that the immune system in, in human beings is a perfect system in that it had the ability to recognize self and non-self. And to them, this was a very radical idea that, that this function can break down. Absolutely. And to this day, it's still a radical idea <laughs> to some people. Yes. Right? Yes. But he was lucky enough at that time that uh, rheumatoid arthritis was also discovered okay. right at the same time. Okay. So, you know, so when rheumatoid arthritis was discovered, and by the way, uh, we, uh, you know, um, the history shows that rheumatoid arthritis and all immune diseases has been there for probably 400 million years. Sure. Because they found that the bones of dinosaurs had some kind of holes in them. Okay. So that's, that's just, you know. So autoimmune disease has been there, but they were not recognized until 1940. Right. And then around 1950, they found a patient who had both rheumatoid arthritis and lupus. Okay. So these were the major, major breakthroughs. Then um, in 19, around the same time, 1950, uh, 1955, they discovered the structure, the molecules, the IgG, the IgM, the IgA, what is their structure, Y-shaped material, uh, the molecular size, and then also IgD was discovered at Johns Hopkins University. Okay. So those, you know, that's exactly the time that I went to Bar-Ilan University in Israel and started, you know, studying immunology. So they were teaching us about all these major breakthroughs. Right. And this was more than 50 years ago. Yes. And here we are today. Yes. Still struggling with the concept in conventional medicine that autoimmunity is the basis for many diseases. Um, why don't we talk a little bit about what, what the definition of autoimmunity is? I will be very happy to do that, but let me just touch a couple more issues which made huge difference in my life. Okay. So in 1975, major discovery happened in the laboratory setting. And that was introduction of a method called ELISA, mm -hmm. enzyme-linked immunosorbent assay. Right. Just, you know, think about this possibility that you can take um, instead of a tube that, uh, you know, you 
we used to do agglutination. You add sure. antigen, antibody, and you look for precipitation or agglutination. Clumping of the molecules. Now suddenly you can look at color development, which yeah. is indication of antigen-antibody reaction. Right. The advantage of the, this is that they could develop spectrophotometers also to measure the intensity of the color and therefore quantitation right. of the antibodies. Right. So uh, Engelbaum and Perlman from Germany were the one who discovered this method. When? In the 70s? 75. Right. So that was a major breakthrough. And then, as you know, I came to UCLA in 1979 for a postdoctoral studies, mm -hmm. working with Professor Cooper, not from far from here, about yes. two miles uh, from here. Uh, and then I was a little, to be honest with you, a little bit frustrated. A young immunologist coming to the USA, spending almost a month uh, or, or a year, and uh, waiting to learn something that will make a difference in my life. Mm -hmm. And they didn't happen. In the field of immunology. In the field of immunology. Yeah. I was learning something here and there, but it wasn't a major one. Okay. So I heard about ELISA, but I didn't know how to go and do, learn about ELISA. Okay. So one day I was walking um, uh, you know, on the fourth floor, which is the medical building of uh, UCLA, uh, 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 which is the immunology department, they made an announcement that there is a workshop about ELISA. Perfect. Perfect timing, right? Yes. And listen, at that time, I have to share this with you and, you know, the audience that I really didn't have much money. Okay. Uh, I was working at UCLA with no salary. Right. So I had to survive. We didn't have kids yet. Right. Uh, so $350 for two days was a lot of money. Yes. But I paid that $350 okay. and went for two days of workshop, hands-on, how to do ELISA assay. So I learned that and then took that to the laboratory. Practiced so much, I became you know, the expert how to run ELISA assay. And believe me, today I'm sitting here that that method completely changed my life. So it was money well spent. Absolutely. I was impressed to the degree that when your mother was pregnant with you in 1981-82, that I said, if you were going to be a girl, I was going to call you Eliza. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's very thankful that I'm not a girl. <laughs> so let's have a little bit fun also. Yeah, of course. So, so anyway, that made a huge, huge difference. You know, using that method, today I'm sitting here, I developed more than 300 different ELISA assays, which you were involved with me. You yeah. worked with me since you were high school. Yeah. No, we've been working together, yeah, since I was 15. Yeah. In so the laboratory. you were in the laboratory, you observed the LISA technology, yeah, I ran the testing. you observed cellular immunology, sure. testing, other testing, uh, you wrote articles with me, and so, you know, it was great honor to be working with you. Great, great honor for me too. I got uh, training from the best. Yeah, thank you. So, one more breakthrough happened about that period of time, 1975. 1980, 
was the discovery of monoclonal antibodies. Okay. As you know, today they are used for target therapy. Yes. In the field of autoimmunity, yes. whether you agree with that or disagree yeah, with that. Yeah, it's a very controversial treatment, uh, but that's, that's when they were developed. Yeah, target therapy for cancer, that's how they're using So that. what is a monoclonal antibody? Okay. If we take an antigen, soy protein, okay, and inject it to an animal, rabbit, right? That antigen uh, goes to different uh, lymphoid organs, mm -hmm. including spleen, and lots of lymphocytes become specializing in making antibodies. Against plasma, soy. we call those plasma cells right. against soy. Right. But because so many plasma cells of different kinds become activated and make antibodies against different components of soy. Okay. We call those polyclonal antibodies, meaning the antibodies are made by many, many plasma cells. Okay. They are not one cell that was divided, a clone of cells we call those and then antibodies were made by that. Right, so many plasma cells contributed to making antibodies against soy, some of them to different portions of, of that's soy. Right. That's right. right. Not all of them to exactly the same portion of soy. Exactly. Right. So that is polyclonal antibodies. Okay. We talked about it. Yes. The monoclonal antibodies was very brilliant. If we inject mouse with the same soy protein we talked about okay and separate plasma cell from the spleen just one yeah plasma cell mm -hmm. then fuse that plasma cell with another plasma cell from a patient with multiple myeloma okay what is multiple myeloma plasma cells dividing and making lots of proteins. It's a factory of making proteins. Uncontrolled replication of the plasma cells. Right. Now, so imagine we injected soy antigen right. to a mouse, right. we separated one plasma cell, right. and now we, inf you know, we fuse that together. And it replicates like crazy. So the DNA from this cell goes in there, yeah. and that cell replicates like crazy and make lots of proteins, but one of those proteins will be antibody against soy. And one specific antibody. Very specific antibody right. against soy. Right. And so therefore, by getting rid of all other proteins, now you have 100% soy protein, which we call that monoclonal antibody against soy. Right. So they took this idea they applied that, for example, to TNF-alpha. Sure. They made monoclonal antibody against TNF-alpha. Which we see which, on the market today. Which, by the way, humanized that. We can, you know, right. what is humanization? Meaning taking two human cells right. and infuse them. Right. And then you make right. anti-TNF-alpha. And now it's huge market yes. for treatment of patients with rheumatoid Arthritis. The highest sales in the United States pharmaceutically last year was Humira. Okay, fantastic. Right. With the same idea, for example, if you have a patient with breast cancer, mm -hmm. 
CA-19 or cancer antigens, you make monoclonal antibodies against that. Right. You can take that antibody, which goes only after the protein of uh, breast cancer cells. Right. And add to that a toxin, will deliver that to all the tumor cells and cause destruction of the tumor cells. Sure. To any cells that express CA-19. So we call that targeted therapy. Right. So this was huge, 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 and you can see the impact on the economy of the world. Yes. It's just one finding. Right. Uh, that's why I'm calling these landmark discoveries. Sure. So finally, building on all of this, that I can take credit for some of this, that uh, developing all these assays, and so the idea of predictive antibodies came into fruition. That's what we are doing with Cyrex laboratories. And our idea, as you know, you were involved with this, is to detect autoimmune diseases at early stage as possible. So prevention will make huge difference in the life right. of the patients. Right. So in, in talking about autoimmune disease, right, this is a disorder of the immune the immune, uh, immune system of a human being where some portion of the immune system is not functioning the way it should. It is recognizing self tissue as a foreign antigen and attacking it through various mechanisms, usually by antibody formation, right? Absolutely. So Absolutely. Um, why don't we talk about a few examples of autoimmune disease? Yeah. Let me conclude that part. Okay. It was so, so finally based on that uh, introduction that really I'm not the father of immunologists. Those are the fathers of the immunologists. Sure. I am the son of immunologists. Okay. And you are the grandson <laughs> of the immunologists. I'm honored to be there. Yeah. So, so, so really that's the, that's, we have to give credit to this. Definitely. So you asked me earlier what, what is autoimmunity, you explained that, but let me one more time to define. Please. Is uh, autoimmunity is immunity against self. Right. As you know that the body has a mechanism which can differentiate between self versus not self. Mm -hmm. So the immune system built in such a way that lymphocytes migrate from the bone, bone marrow, to the thymus or lymphoid organs to become T cell or B cells. So when they migrate from bone marrow to the thymus to become T cells, it is within the thymus gland where they get their education. Mm -hmm. Lymphocytes who carry receptor for self right. should be destroyed completely. Right. Lymphocytes who carry receptor for not self, bacteria, viruses, parasites, molds, spirochetes, they should survive right. and protect us against any future um, encountering of these pathogens. Mm -hmm. So that's how the immune system is built to differentiate between self and not self. When this mechanism breaks down, when this mechanism breaks down, the results of that could be autoimmunity. Okay. And the immune system has many safety features built into it, right? That's why when you talk to immunologists in the 50s and, and you told them 
that there's an entity such as autoimmunity they didn't believe in, right? Yeah, because there are a lot of features yeah. built in where this this breakdown shouldn't happen. Absolutely, that was Sir Burnett claimed that please don't call this autoimmunity, call this autoallergy. Okay. Autoallergy. There is no such thing as autoimmunity. The body, immune, the, our immune system is so perfect, no way the immune system will break down because there are so many levels of protection. Right. Right. Yeah. So, so. Examples. Please. Examples, examples of autoimmunity. Let's take just the skin. Okay. Because skin, we forget, is a, is a major, major organ. Yes. The largest one. And the first part of the immune system is really the skin and, and you and it's a barrier. And the mucosal, right? yes. mucosal surfaces. Skin and mucosal surfaces are the first line of defense of our immune system. Absolutely. They're a barrier. Yes, absolutely. Now, but unfortunately, we have vitiligo. Right. We have psoriasis. Sure. We have scleroderma. Eczema. Eczema. Maybe we can call that autoimmunity or not, but maybe it's, that's more allergy. Pemphigus, yes. Pemphigoids, yes. And even part of the systemic lupus erythematosus. Yeah, that's sure. Why the butterfly. Sure. So there are like just just with skin. I just named six or seven different autoimmune diseases. Yes. Now let's go a little bit down into the digestive tract. Sure. We have uh, first of all pernicious anemia. Okay. We make antibodies against our own intrinsic factor. Yes. B B12 deficiency. Right. We can't absorb the nutrients, therefore the red blood cells don't form the way they should and you end up anemic. Celiac disease. Sure. Non-celiac gluten sensitivity. Yes. Crohn's. Ulcerative colitis. Which are both inflammatory bowel diseases in the category of IBD. Irritable bowel syndrome now right. is autoimmune disease. Right. For years and, and years. SIBO also is autoimmune disease. Why? Because, as you know, that now we are in the middle of research together, that making antibodies against cytoskeletal proteins, yes. such as vincolin and taline and actin, actinid, right. that's autoimmunity. IBS, it, it, for, for many, many years, was really just considered. So you were just born with a sensitive GI system, and, and that is, you know, people would say you're kind of out of luck. You know, don't drink coffee, don't drink things, don't eat foods that irritate you. You're just kind of born with a sensitive stomach. And now we're really starting to understand, one, that IBS is an autoimmune condition, disease, yes. and two, there's a huge association between SIBO, which is small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, and IBS, there is major overlap between the two of them, and maybe those two will start to merge into really one one disease in the future. Yeah, absolutely. The beauty of this is that we are learning about mechanisms. The bacteria making a, a toxin, highly toxic, damaging cellular DNA. Right. That's why they call that toxin genotoxic mm -hmm. or genotoxic. Um, so this bacterial toxin not only is damaging the cytoskeletal proteins such as vincolin talent yeah but also cross reacts with them meaning has an antigenic similarity with cytoskeletal proteins right. you make antibody against the toxin the antibody turns against your cell so let's talk about that let's let's clarify that so you have 
dysbiosis or pathogenic infection with a certain bacteria. Uh, and that bacteria, because of its toxin, can physically break the barrier of the intestinal lining, right? And not only barrier, the cellular structure. The structure. And then not only can it do that, but when the immune system starts to target the bacteria by forming antibodies as part of the adaptive immune system, it, those antibodies also cross-react with cytoskeletal protein. So you get a two-for-one, autoimmunity and also direct damage. Absolutely. Right. Yes. So, so we name right here another five or six or seven. Sure. Just in the gut. Sure. Now let's go to the joints. Right. Rheumatoid arthritis, psoriatic arthritis, yes. and, and uh, osteoarthritis. Yeah, that's another one. Yes. Uh, but the most prominent autoimmunities, unfortunately, are against our brain cells. Yeah. And we'll talk about that probably in one session. Why brain is so much target of autoimmunities? And, and this one has the ability to impact the quality of your life the most. I mean, we all know someone, unfortunately, we all know someone with a neurodegenerative autoimmune condition, whether it be MS or early Alzheimer's. Um, and these are devastating. Um, and even we're finding some autoimmune related uh, connections between migraines and cluster headaches and really very debilitating neurodegenerative diseases. So this is one of the areas where we can make really significant impact on the quality of life of a human being. Yes, absolutely. So multiple sclerosis. Yes. ALS. Yeah. Um, neuromyelitis optica. Right. Uh, peripheral neuropathy. Mm -hmm. Neuropathy in general, and there are many more autoimmune sure. diseases associated with the brain. Sure. And so the bottom line is there is no single part of our body is which is not target of autoimmunity. Yeah. Every single part of our body could be a target of autoimmunity. Mm -hmm. We also talked earlier about. Dr. Hashimoto in, in Japan, and this is another very prevalent autoimmune condition, um, especially, you know, this was discovered in Japan, but we have a huge prevalence of it in the United States, Hashimoto's thyroiditis. Um, talk a little bit about Hashimoto's. What the, We are forming antibodies against a portion of the thyroid gland, right? Absolutely. Which is thyroid peroxidase. Right, TPO. But with that, let's give credit to another son of immunology. Dr. Noel Rose from Johns Hopkins University, I believe today is about 92, 90, 92 years. Okay. He spent his entire career uh, with, in the field of autoimmunology. In 1955, so after Hashimoto, uh -huh. Professor Hashimoto, that discovered that, and then later on, they found out that we make antibodies against thyroid peroxidase. Yep. He made, this is Dr. Noel Ross, made major discoveries. He took rabbits and took the thyroid gland and extracted an antigen from the thyroid gland. He didn't know then was thyroglobulin. Okay. Because thyroid peroxidase versus thyroglobin, right? And when he injected to another rabbit, 
unexpectedly found the, the other rabbits became sick. Develop another thyroid autoimmunity called Graves' disease. Right. So Hashimoto's is a autoimmune thyroid condition that results in hypo functioning of the thyroid gland, and Graves' disease is the opposite. Could go both ways. Right. Yeah. But in both cases, we make antibodies against the components of thyroid gland. Right. So in this case, when we did the experiments, you didn't expect because we, we are saying that the, immu the immune system should differentiate between self and versus non-self, right. right? Right. That was the, my definition earlier. Right. So how come we took thyroid gland extract, which was actually then later purified it and found that was thyroglobulin, right. and injected that to the rabbit, the rabbit developed thyroid autoimmunity. Right. And so, so he spent many, many years to find out, actually, sometimes when we have uh, hidden tissue antigens. Mm -hmm. If you look at thyroid gland, let's say it's, uh, you know, it's, it's covered by you know, some kind of barrier. Yeah. But the thyroglobulin and TPO or microsoma, we used to call that, they're inside. Right, they're inside the cells. Yeah. So when you extract that, and inject it, the body recognizes that it's not, not cell. Right. It's not. Because during uh, the three to six months of our life, as you know, that the oral the tolerance mechanism develops, right? Right. Uh, because our cells never had any communication with thyroglobulin or thyroid peroxidase, sure. which is inside right. <laughs> that structure then the body recognizes that they're not so, react to it, and we make antibody against that. Okay. So today, hypothyroidism is huge, about just 14 million people just suffering from yeah. hypothyroidism, and where they make antibodies against their own thyroid gland, and the next part is that if thyroid is so perfect, okay, covered with all these structures. So how come we make antibody against Yeah, that? it's right? a very good question. Right, so it seems, it seems that some kind of environmental factors. Right. Virus, uh, uh, bacterial toxins. Right. Chemical toxins can penetrate that barrier and uh, cause release of thyroglobulin and microsomals into the blood, and now we are going to react against that, right. and we make antibodies. I think there is a terminology called sequestered antigens, yes. meaning the antigens are hidden inside, yes. but now they are not hidden anymore. Yeah, and unfortunately, you know, we know so many people out there, so many patients who are on thyroid supplemental medication, and very few health practitioners, doctors are asking, endocrinologists are asking the question, why did this happen to your thyroid gland? What can we do to reverse that process so maybe your thyroid function comes back a little bit, or at least you stop the progression of the thyroid damage? And really, that's, this is a different way of thinking about autoimmunity that very few people are even talking about. You know, it, it's just a, We'll give you the thyroid medication to make up for what your thyroid can no longer do. 
And you're really bypassing, in doing that, you're bypassing what your body's intention is. And, and our, our idea here is let's restore the immune system to what it's supposed to be doing. Let's remove whatever is causing the thyroid tissue to be exposed to the immune system and let's try to bring function back to normal. Yeah. Yeah, earlier, remember I mentioned that you are the most qualified autoimmunologist. <laughs> the reason for that is you worked in the clinical laboratory, you did research, you are familiar with the methodologies, you are MD. So by putting this whole thing together and emphasizing the role that the triggers play in the induction of autoimmunities, you are going to make huge difference in the life of the patients. That, that's exactly what you were talking about. I hope so. You know, I hope, I hope to continue you know, all of the work that you've done and really start applying it more and more and more to individuals who walk through the Because program. without looking at the triggers of autoimmunity, Triggers could be a virus, as I said, in the case of thyroid, autoimmunity, right. other autoimmunity. So infectious pathogens are one of the triggers of autoimmunity. Toxic chemicals. Toxic chemicals, which we all know more and more and more in our industrialized world. Those of us living in cities, unless you're living in the middle of the woods in Washington, if you do, I'm very jealous of you. Um, unless, unless you're living in that condition, you're exposed to toxic chemicals every day. Yes. And then the food antigens. And again... We may have special session just for each one of these. Yes. So, so in the future have... episodes of Vojnani University, uh, we will be discussing each one of those subcategories and their application to different audiences. Because what happened to the food? Yeah. That 50 years ago, the immune system was not reacting against it. Now we are reacting against right. it. Right. Those then, are kind of questions. And that these we... are things that everybody in the United States are exposed to on a daily basis. Absolutely. Right. Right. Okay. So let's go back to uh, that case. I, to me, the case of Hashimoto's thyroiditis is, is very interesting. You know, as, um, as an interventional radiologist, I, I had a lot of exposure to thyroid disease, also reading thyroid ultrasounds. Um, I have an ultrasound machine here myself so that I can take a look at, you know, in, in the case of autoimmune thyroid disease, how much of the parenchyma, the cells of the thyroid gland have changed. It's, it's a very useful marker on top of what uh, blood testing is, is showing, right? How, many, how much anti-TPO antibody you have, how well your thyroid is functioning. I like to take a structural look at the thyroid mind itself. That's a fantastic idea. Yeah. Because, uh, because you know that the antibodies fluctuate even from day to day. Yeah. I have heard the experts yeah. that one day they measure TPO antibodies 4,000, the next day is 500. Yeah. So it seems, first of all, when you measure antibody, how do you know where those antibodies are produced? They were produced yesterday? Or two weeks ago, ago? Or six months ago. Right. You don't right? know. That's why the advantage of having this methodology, this technology, right. the ultrasounding of the thyroid gland is extremely, extremely important uh, as an adjunct to other yeah. uh, methodologies. And, and, and I, you know, in, in my experience and my belief, it also gives you the ability to track whether structural changes as treatment is going on. You know, you see the blood testing kind of uh, move in a positive direction, but you also want to see structural changes as well. Absolutely. In, in a positive way. Um, um, so, yeah, that, that, 
to me, Hashimoto's thyroiditis is so interesting. We mentioned that viruses, uh, bacterial pathogen exposure can be the trigger for Hashimoto's. Why don't we talk about uh, one of the viruses that's well associated with Hashimoto's, Epstein-Barr virus, EBV. Yes. Yes. What, is, what is the mechanism in which EBV contributes to Hashimoto's thyroiditis? Okay. In, uh, you have seen that presentation we put together yes. about the role of pathogens yes. in autoimmunity. Yes. Uh, Epstein-Barr virus, uh, H. pylori, yep. uh, Yersinia enterocolitica, yes. Epstein-Barr virus mentioned earlier, all of them share an epitope, an antigenic or amino acid uh, similarity with Pyroclad. Do you mind if I if I yeah, just please. make that a little bit more in layman's terms, right? So uh, those infectious agents, Epstein-Barr virus, Yersinia enterocolitica, H. pylori, three very common uh, infectious pathogens. When the immune system attacks them, there is a portion of those viruses which is very similar. The protein structure is very similar to a portion of the thyroid parenchyma, right? Yes. So continue. So. Now, immune system is attacking the pathogen. Yes. It makes antibody against that component, that yes. necklace. Combination of amino acids, that antibody, if penetrates parenchyma of, of the thyroid and binds to uh, thyroid stimulating hormone receptor or thyroid peroxidase right. or thyroglobulin, causing what? Autoimmune thyroid disease. Autoimmune thyroidism. Yes. That's so, the mechanism. Now we are talking about the mechanism of action, which many people do not pay attention to. And let's talk about why it's so important to talk about the mechanism of action, discover why this happened, because it gives you the ability to go down to the very basic of the pathogenesis of the thyroid disease and remove that, the whole thing that's causing this wheel to start in the body, remove it and therefore remove the disease process. So in the case of Epstein-Barr virus infection, you can support the immune system to clear that infection and therefore stop producing antibodies against it that will be circulating in the system and therefore not react to thyroid tissue. Yes, in the case of H. pylori, thanks God, there is a treatment. Yes, a right? very effective treatment. Yeah, very effective treatment. Yes. If you can you know, suffer for two weeks and get that triple treatment and reverse the autoimmunity against your own thyroid, that's not a huge price that you are going to pay. You are going to enjoy it for the rest of your life. Right. But that's why it's so important to find the triggers. Yes. Or Yersinia enterocolitica. Yes. Also, by treating the gut, supporting the gut, probiotics, and many other remedies that you are expert, um, you can help. Absolutely. And, and this is the decades of work and research that you have been doing in your entire career have come to this point now that we have reliable, fast, efficient diagnostic methods to identify these predictive antibodies, these things that show that your immune system is reacting to foods, your immune system is reacting to toxic chemicals, or your immune system is reacting to infectious pathogens. And 
Those predictive antibodies give us the idea as to where the autoimmunity is coming from. We can remove those triggers and therefore remove the process of autoimmunity. So what you are talking about actually is the famous uh, detect, yes, remove, and repair. Right. So that's really our... Uh, right. Yeah. Detect, remove, and, and repair. The Vojdani continuum of diagnosis, removal, and treatment. Absolutely. Right? Yes. So that is really the, the work that you have perfected over decades that we are bringing into my practice and, and what I am um, very, very thrilled to be able to offer to everyone out there who walks in through the doors. Um, and uh, it really is a privilege to have learned all of this from you and, and to be able to help so many people with it. Thank you. And again, I appreciate your passion for the field of autoimmunity. Yeah. And I encourage patients out there who suffer from autoimmunity, come and see you because you know how to help them. Thank you, I appreciate it. Uh, so uh, we're gonna wrap up episode one of Vojdani University. Uh, you can look forward to this once a month. Um, once again, I'm Elroy Vojdani, MD. I am the physician founder of Regenera Wellness. Uh, for more information, uh, to access these video posts, you can visit regenerawellness.com. Uh, you can call our office at 424-256-0272 or email info at regenerawellness.com uh, with any questions you might have. Um, Dr. Vojdani, it is always a pleasure. Thank you. As always, I always learn something from you. And uh, in our future episodes, uh, we're going to cover specifically how food affects autoimmunity, how chemicals affect autoimmunity and how infectious pathogens affect autoimmunity. And uh, we're going to keep this going as long as we possibly can. Um, if anyone has any suggestions for a topic, please send them to info at regenerawellness.com and we will do our best to cover that topic. And I'm looking forward to additional episodes. Thank you. Me too. Thank you. Thank you guys.